Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney E. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our round two preview edition. We're here for ESPN, of course, uh, every week. And by we, I mean myself and none other than uh, the great football identity coach, premiership player, raconteur and serial premiership reunion attender, Mr. Rodney Ede. How are you, Rocket? Hi, Rowan. How are you? That's a long that's a long list. I don't know <laughs> how many of them are valid, but I'll take them anyway. Well, you've done a lot. You've done a lot. And, uh, of course, we were both at the MCG last Sunday for the Essendon Hawthorne game. Uh, myself, in a professional capacity, I hasten to add, not just as a fan, but uh, your good self, uh, gracing the Hello Turf as a member of the 1983 Hawthorne Premiership team. And uh, first thing I noticed, Rocket, that the um, the relentless march of time, you were far from the only follically challenged member of that side. Well, I think it's very commonplace now in society, once you're post-60, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, there's a few guys too that put a little bit of weight on, but there's a few that were still look reasonably fit. But we had a day on the Saturday. The Saturday was a really good day. We went to a restaurant at Fed Square and... Uh, kicked on a little bit, but uh, that was great. That was really relaxed. Um, it was, you know, it was great catching up with the guys. And then this Sunday, the president's lunch was a bit more formal. Um, and then walking around probably half a lap. That's about all we did. You feel a bit funny waving to the crowd. I don't know how many years the young kids are going over these old focus. <laughs> but uh, but it was enjoyable catching the guys. It was terrific. No, look, that was a, um, I mean, that was the first, uh, just for those younger people out there. I mean, that, that was the first of Hawthorne's um, premierships under Alan Jeans. Of course, he'd already played in 76 and 78, but um, that was an important uh, sort of part of Hawthorne's history, wasn't it? Because you had, I guess, yourself and and Terry Wallace, but, you know, Lee Matthews and guys like that part of the old guard, but you had um, a new influx of players coming through, didn't you? The likes of, uh, well, Derby. um, Yeah, Chris Mew. Peter Schwab, uh, yeah, Chris yeah, Mew. So, yeah, um, and and some unsung heroes too. I mean, uh, I saw Michael McCarthy at that uh, at the Premiership reunion. Colin Robinson, of course, who won the Norm Smith Medal. Was it true that uh, Colin Robinson uh, didn't agree to turn up until he knew Roger Merritt wasn't going to be there? <laughs> well, when we we're walking past the um, Essendon cheer squad at the uh, at the City End, uh, we thought Robbo sort of kept a bit left and went a bit more internal towards the middle of the ground rather than by the fence for the Essendon supporters. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a great side. As you said, it was the first of seven grand finals in a row, so probably the first of that dynasty, I suppose. And uh, and I couldn't remember much of 83, but Peter Knight's had a great recollection about the 82 where we were knocked out in a final and just the, the effort and work that we put in and, you know, training three nights a week, and in those days you're still working. Um, so there's a lot of time and effort went into it, and obviously Jeansy had a fair bit to do with all that. But it was a terrific side. Out of the four I played in, that's probably the best side. I think 86 was a little bit different. Um, now, certainly better than 76 and 78. But Matthews and Knights, terrific players, and Bacchanara got injured early, but Bacchanara, and we said Mew and Ayers and Dipper and that. So that was a really good side, and I think everyone played their role in the day, which, uh, which worked out okay. I'll tell you, yeah, we're watching it through tears in, in the outer, in the bottom deck of the Southern Stand that day. But one one guy who played particularly well in that game from memory was uh, Ken Judge, very uh, skilled half-forward flanker and uh, unfortunately 
no longer with us, but uh, very good player. You know, the other thing I remember about Colin Robertson was um, John, poor John Kennedy Jr. ended up getting booed for half the day as well because he looked a bit like Colin Robinson from a distance. He, he did, and that's uh, on the on the Saturday we had a bit of a panel. John Sylvester, great Hawthorne supporter, he um, he interviewed a few of us, and uh, and John Kennedy was on the panel that I was on, and he said, "Robo, where's my uh, Norm Smith?" He said, "I think you got." Uh, I think he got votes because I was getting all the kicks. So there, you know, there's a bit of banter there about that as well. Uh, good times, uh, good times, and always good to hear the stories of the good old days. All right, we've got plenty to get through. Uh, nine big games coming up. We've got uh, fulsome previews of them all. But first, um, plenty of news about. Let's have a bit of a chat about some of the stories of the week. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, well, it hasn't taken long, Rocket, for uh, our first um, match review slash tribunal slash rules of the game slash concussion controversy. And we did talk last week um, about, you know, this was going to keep coming up. And, uh, well, here we go. Um, I've got to say I was quite surprised at three incidents which really – Parked back to a bygone era. They were, yes. they were, yeah, they were incidents you don't really see much now. If you've been on Mars, we're talking about Posse Pickett's bump on uh, Bailey Smith, um, Shane McAdams' bump or assault on uh, Jacob Weir from GWS, and the glancing. I think it was a bit of a shoulder from Buddy Franklin on yep. Sam Collins. Now the result of them, uh, Pickett, uh, three games uh, pleaded down to two. Franklin, two games, pleaded down to one. Uh, McAdam sent straight to the tribunal where he was given a three-game penalty. As we record this, we still don't know whether that will be challenged. But um, a lot of discussion, I think, mainly about inconsistency, given a lot of people couldn't see much difference between certainly the Pickett and McAdam incidents, and yet uh, McAdam treated seriously enough to go to the tribunal and pick it not. Well, I'll just get your initial view of uh, of those three incidents. Yeah, I thought that as I agree with you. Pickett McAdam uh, was very similar. McAdam seemed to have a bit more ferocity. I reckon he took a bit more of a run at him, if that's if you want to be technical. Uh, Buddy, uh, I think, was a, a lower grade than those two. He was more side on, but he did go off his line to bump the player. He, he, he actually could have gone for the ball. Um, and I think that's where the ruling needs to be looked at. Uh, I know some people are thinking, and maybe yourself, there's an article that maybe get rid of the bump. Um, I just don't know how you can do that. I think it makes it too difficult. Because if two players are going for the ball side by side, you need to be able to use your body. What constitutes a bump? You should be able to bump a player out of the way. I think the uh, the first two ones that we spoke about, where the players jump went past the ball, I reckon if you go past the ball – End of story, you get suspended. And I reckon make it even, and probably even grade those two, is that uh, it's more about the intent or the ability to cause injury. And yeah. it's either extreme or or strong. I don't know whatever other word you use. But don't give them a chance to get off. It's, it's, it's either a three-week or, a, or, a, or even greater um, as a minimum. So they go for the football. I think there's going to be incidental contact sometimes, and that's going to happen in our game. You don't want to take out all the physicality in the game because then people won't watch it. But I think if they're going for the ball and their eyes are on the footy and you can prove that, well, I think that's fair enough. But those two gentlemen, 
they went over the ball and they went straight for the player. They should have the books thrown at them. I think that make the penalty more severe. Don't give them a chance to appeal. Academy at least three. Pickett should have been three. They could have caused serious damage if they'd hit them in the head. Now with this concussion debate, I think the AFL have got to get stronger with the ruling on what the contact is and what the intent was. Well, that that's why um, I think in the end I'm saying maybe we have to get rid of the bump, but it's not something that I, I particularly want to see. But I'm just thinking the this class action brought by these older players, mm. it's so serious, the, uh, you know, potential... Uh, not just legal ramifications, but, it, you know, as a consequence of financial ramifications are enormous. And I'm just wondering, you know, if it's a risk the game can afford to take, given how relatively and frequently we actually see strong bumps executed in the game. Now, now you make a very good point about that, you know, side-by-side bump. But do we even see that that often these days? And second question to you, what would the game look like if it was eliminated and you had to either tackle or corral a player defensively? I think corralling then takes that element out of physicality. It looks like a bit nanny bambi to a to a degree. The other thing is what constitutes a bump. It's just say side on now, not the front on. The front yeah, on yeah. Uh, gets rid of it. Even I'm saying if you go past the ball and you hit players. You should have the book thrown at them and increase that penalty. But if I'm going for the ball with you, can I edge you over like in a marking contest? Did I edge or did I push, just edge you out? That's not a bump. But if I physically move you offline, is that a bump? I reckon one would take in that if we took that out of the game, it's a it's a skill. Mm. And two, um, I reckon it makes it harder for the umpires. I'm looking, thinking the umpires here. Yeah, it's another grey area. Is it a bump? Is it not a bump? Do they get consistency? I can tell it'll be an unintended consequence that everyone will be up and up and we'll, it'll be a media headline, which it doesn't need to be a headline. Yeah, no, no. Look, fair enough. Okay, another issue with this for me, this is a big hobby horse of mine, is I think as far as adjudication goes, the balance has tipped far too heavily in favour of the consequences of an action and yep. too far away from the intent. And this is the issue with both McAdam and Pickett, isn't it? There is absolutely no doubt the intent of both was to hurt. And as you mentioned, they both, both run past the ball. But Smith gets up and is relatively unhurt. Uh, Weir, well, Weir did end up playing on, but he was assessed for concussion, so the consequences were greater. And that ends up dictating the penalty. But it's mere luck that the consequences were as light as they were. I mean, Pickett in launching into Smith has zero control over exactly where he's going to hit him. It's only got to be three or four centimetres higher and Bailey Smith is away with the fairings. So um, isn't that, don't you think we've tipped the balance way too far away from intent? Oh, I I agree, especially on bumps. I can see the other ones, okay, you might might see about consequences, but then, you know, Punching. If you punch someone in the jaw, hit them in the right spot, you break their jaw six weeks, hit them an inch either side, and you don't, they just have a bruise. Yeah. And that's consequential. So, um, but certainly on the bump, I reckon it, you know, you do what Pickett did in McAdam and even even a, a, a lesson when we, and both those guys left the ground, which yeah. is a really big, really big indicator that they wanted to hurt. But even though they don't leave the ground and go the, past the ball and just bump a play on the shoulder, they can still cause neck injuries. So just make it a minimum three weeks. End of story. 
So there's mm. no argument. If it's really extreme, like the ferocity of those two guys, I'd throw four or five weeks. Yeah. Right? So say that goes to the tribunal and it's got to be more than three weeks. Do you think, I must admit, I was thinking, you know, the, the bump is a, a skill and a, a part of the game that has receded a, a lot over the last you know, decade, 15 years or, or so, and yet these relatively young players are still doing it instinctively. It, you know, if we do end up eliminating the bump, or I, I saw some reference to Simon Goodwin, you know, not or telling his players not to, um, it's going to take some time, perhaps a generation at least, until players are schooled in not reacting, re- reacting instinctively where they bump and, and tackle instead. Yeah. But it's interesting, though, with any rule change and any controversial rule change we've had, and let's say they're deliberate points and whatever the case may be, it doesn't take long for players and even deliberate out of bounds and last touch and all that sort of thing. It doesn't take long for players and coaches to adjust. Mm. They will adjust if they're coached the right way. Mm. For me, front-on bumping has got to be outlawed because mm. a guy's got his eyes on the ball, he's bent over, and you go past the ball. To me, make that black and white. Yeah, Side-on, now Franklin's a bit side-on, but he veered offline. That's probably a lesser one. But generally, it should be have a skill, like in a marking contest. You can use your body to protect the ball, to protect the drop zone, uh, push a player out of the way, um, and you're making contact with his backside or his hip. I, I think... I think we've got to keep that in the game. And that's because uh, what we'll get is players second guessing. It's a bit like that rule that Gil McLaughlin brought in on the back of Alistair Clarkson about tackling mid season and not telling anybody. I will change it mid string because it sounds good. Um, that you'll reward the tackler. So every player stood back and corralled and they mm. wanted to tackle. Then didn't want to go for the ball. Our first process of a first value of our game is be able to win the ball and it's yeah. got to maintain and I think we've got to maintain that guy protect the players going for the ball and make every player go for the footy it's interesting how we've changed our views on this stuff though isn't it over a period of time I keep thinking back to that's not that I'm scarred by this but <laughs> I, keep, I keep thinking back to the uh, famous Dermot Burton shirt front on Paul Vanderhaar in the uh, Hawthorne Essendon final in 1989. Had it Waverley. Yeah. Almost yeah. got into a punch-up with Skeeter Coglin over that, believe it or not. Uh, I found out later he was a boxing champion. He would have absolutely made mincemeat of me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I was pretty annoyed at what happened because, you know, Vanderhaar had his head over the ball and Dermy's just come in and, and picked him off. And I remember, and I'm not, I'd stress, I'm not having a go at Dermy here because different times and you did what you could. But, that was lauded as, oh, what a tough act and set the tone for his team. If that happened now, he would be universally um, yep. reviled for doing it, wouldn't he? Which which is right, really, because it's not, you know, picking a bloke off who's got his head over the ball and is unprepared is not tough, is it? No, it's not. And people say the old days was tough, but really you could, you could hit a bloke from behind and say, oh, we need all that. Well, that's not being tough. I mean, the players today in many ways, a lot tougher, the ferocity that they hit the contest and they generally their eyes are the ball and generally they do a good thing. But now with this concussion, and we've been known about it for probably 10 years, the studies done in America and the, uh, now the thing that the guys have had in their head that you know, once they're past, they've been able to do the scans and the effect on their brain, we're, we're aware of it. So we've got to take a duty of care, A, the yeah. players, but B, the AFL. Now, the AFL have started that probably for the last five to 10 years and changing the rules and it's been a gradual process but I think they've just got to get harder on it now just go bang that's it you go past the ball you bump front on 
you're in a, a world of trouble. You you know you're going to get a minimum of three weeks. Yeah. Um, and you can get more. And that's not a deterrent. Well, they lose money. Uh, they don't get games. Uh, that's the biggest deterrent, I reckon. Yeah. No, no, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. All right, let's leave that discussion there. Um, I wanted to move on to this one now. You, you, As you're aware, Rocket, I'm pretty uh, keen on talking about the media at times without wanting to be incestuous about it. Um, a bit of a bugbear of mine is how the football media occasionally, uh, well, not to put too fine a point on it, is capable of disappearing up its own clacker on occasion. Um, now, you might think, where am I going with this? But I couldn't help but notice a couple of things out of the weekends of, uh, of footy. We, you know, we had a, a great first round, third highest attended round ever, some really important results, impressive performances. Um, Herald Sun today, Tuesday, uh, sorry, Wednesday, uh, and it's been going big on this story for a long time. Uh, former Melbourne president Glenn Bartlett is uh, suing... Um, Fairfax or, sorry, Channel 9 and a couple of reporters uh, for defamation. Um, there's a lot of bad blood towards the club and the way he was made to stand down as president at the start of what became a, a famous premiership year for the Demons. Uh, look, interesting story, but it, it's just so far removed now from now in, in a time sense, but also, I think, removed from where fans' heads are at at the moment, particularly... Melbourne supporters who who are riding a bit of a wave and want to hear about their team and how well they're performing. And they keep getting fed this sort of scandal about what was going on two years ago. The other thing that caught my eye with this was, um, and footy classified, well, it does tend to mine this territory fairly heavily, uh, and that is controversy in the off-field stuff rather than the game. Um, But the sort of upset what's become a real obsession um, about, dare I say it, Essendon's off-field politics. Now, I should say here, I've talked and written a fair bit about this myself, but if ever there's a time just to put it to rest for a week, surely it's after round one, big win over an old enemy under the new coach. And what, we can't even talk about that for two minutes because we're still talking about Josh Marnie's spat with Adrian Dodoro. And the breathless manner in which this is constantly reported. And I was watching that and I was just thinking, well, is this what fans really want? And I'm not sure it is. I feel like there's this disconnect between the football media and the football public. And the football media is so obsessed with, you know, the the machinations and the uh, the Machiavellian politics of it. And the public wants footy. Yeah. I I think you're right. And I put it down to there's so many media accredited people and so much output as in radio, print, TV, that we all, they think, and I'd say it's classified, well, they everything's been done to death and the game from over the weekend review, we've got to go somewhere else. And I think, not so much them, but I think a lot of media people, it's about what headline we can get and who's going to click on and watch. So it's driven by numbers. I think so. Therefore, you're going to get the machinations that happen in the in the background. And I would think Essendon supporters and certainly other clubs supporters don't care about Josh Marnie and Adrian Dodoro for they're having a spat. Um, all clubs have got issues behind closed doors, but it seems to be a headline grabber now instead of the game. And as you said, even I found it interesting being a Hawthorne supporter. Um, it didn't. I picked them to win at the weekend. I thought they were a chance, but they were really poor. But there seemed to be a couple of people who just want to smash them 
have been beaten by 50-odd points. We know that they've gone young. They, it, it, that wasn't a great result. But there's nothing said about the Gold Coast who were really poor and got beaten by eight or nine goals. There wasn't much as much about Brisbane as there was about Hawthorne. I know we're in Melbourne, but it seems to be a fascination to smash a particular uh, aspect and uh, not to give a balanced view about it. I, I, I wanted to I wanted to ask you about this. I mean, footy politics is nothing new. There was heaps of it around, you know, 40 years ago when you were playing and I was just starting out in the industry. But I, my point here is that you go into any professional workplace with a sizable group of people and there's going to be politics. Not everyone yes. likes everyone. and. No. Um, you know, some people might have the impression that, oh, you know, all this stuff sort of it's happening more and more. And I don't think it is. It's just that it's it's what particular sections of the media choose to focus on because that's their strength in terms of what they know and and who they know. For example, Rocket, I mean, Hawthorne, no finer club uh, in terms of performance through the 80s and, and the whole time you played. But, I mean, Hawthorne itself wasn't immune from uh, political... Oh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, sure, uh, no, in the early ages, I remember when David Parkin was sacked and Alan Jeans was uh, appointed and there was a few issues going on and, and Scotty was mainly driving it about striking, uh, threatened to strike really? on the bout of a few uh, things that uh, he viewed that the club weren't looking after us. And I think it was a bit of retribution, no, not retribution, not the right phrase, but a bit of reaction to his mate Parko getting the chop. Yeah. Um, that was reported a little bit, but it was never. I know that the media's grown exponentially since then, and the coverage of the game has. But I mean, that was a pretty big story, but it didn't really get too much coverage. And as you said, it's an internal politics. It gets looked after. You work it out, and you move on. And it, it would even at Geelong, there'll be something. You know, people will be disagreeing with each other. Uh, same in Sydney at the moment. You know, we've seen as great clubs, but their their own challenges in inside. Um, the media, because there's so many media now too, they've, they've all got their own little contacts at different clubs and some people are prepared to aid leak, but B, maybe exaggerate a point. That's the thing. So the media get, or a person in the media will get our story, but it's not the whole truth. It's a bit of an exaggeration. So blow it up and then becomes a becomes an issue. You know, the funny thing is that you touched on this before. You said, oh, you know, there's there, there's so much about what happens on the field. I'm actually not sure there is. You know, for all the the uh, saturation media coverage now, I sort of feel like um, pro rata, we actually get less of, for for yeah. example, a sort of review of the round. Now, funnily enough, that that's that's sort of been a specialty of mine over the years. I'm actually now this season starting to do that on Sunday nights on 3RW. Tune in if you're at a loose end between six and seven uh, to review the round. But do you think about it, even like, say, Fox Footy, and I'm not having a go at them, but Fox Footy, the last game finishes, they head off to Bounce, an entertainment show. You know, where's sort of the review of the round? Where's the thing that puts it all in perspective? You get a bit here and a bit there. But like Channel 7, for example, they they are the official broadcaster. They don't even have a football panel so, show. Review, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's the couch, isn't it, on, on Fox? And then yeah. Fox have another show about uh, the last, whatever it's called, I don't know. The, oh, the, First the, Crack? First Crack, that's yeah. the one, the, the last crack. Um, but <laughs> um, So there are, but not everyone's got Fox, as you say, but yeah. the radio does a bit. Um, I suppose the games are spread over Thursday to Sunday. It, it's a bit hard to review the whole round, but generally those games are reviewed uh, somewhere. But I think it's 
certain media outlets and say, well, that's been done. Let's do where where's our point of difference? Let's like on TV, who's going to watch us and they'll watch us because we might have some scuttlebutt. Um or we might read this paper because we're going to be hard hitting or whatever the case may be. So um unfortunately the grown is the game has grown so much and there's so many media uh and it's a big game in this town that uh uh there is a fairly big uh influence on the media. So it's interesting too. And the AFL control that a fair bit, the mm. AFL itself. Mm. It's interesting that Glenn Bartlett story. Yeah, you, know, you read that as the Goodwin and Simon Goodwin's got to face a press conference. But I thought he had a real crack at Gil McLaughlin. And that's that's going nowhere. No one's mentioned that about his influence that didn't want to have the hair testing. So therefore, uh, his virtue saying uh, that Gil McLaughlin's one that squeezed me out because he thought uh, it might be an issue having the hair testing executives and AFL. But that's gone nowhere. Everyone's just picked up the Simon Goodwin bit. So, uh, but it's interesting how how it all works. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you've had plenty to do with the media now in several capacities, so I think you're as clued into the machinations of the media as anyone, but I'm sure we'll be talking about football media a bit during this year. All right, let's uh, we'll get into the previews, but just before we finish, on a, a sad note, the uh, passing overnight of one of the game's uh, most, well, legendary and respected uh, backroom people, administrators, and that is former North Melbourne uh, and St Kilda and, uh, no, sorry, not St Kilda, uh, Sydney uh, administrator Ron Joseph, who uh, sadly passed away from lung cancer at the age of 77. Uh, we've both had a bit to do with Ronnie over the years. Uh, Rocket, you, of course, were assistant coach at North Melbourne for four years in the early 90s. Um, I dealt with Ronnie in a, a journalistic Capacity and uh, my immediate thought on on hearing the news was you think of great football administrators and I reckon three names come to mind. One of them's Graham Richmond, one of them's Alan Schwab, and the other one's Ronnie Joseph. And they're all resolutely sort of old school backroom footy guys, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really know Ron too much when I went to North Melbourne. He wasn't there, but he'd still come around and show his face. And then he became. Uh, it was a Sydney before I went to Sydney um, and then become a player manager. Um, but he certainly was old school, the, the, you know, the GR type, the Graham Richmond type, where we'll upset the apple cart and see how people react and uh, the bit of uh, fear factor at times. But obviously uh, what he's remembered most for is that North Melbourne been down the bottom for so long and that 10-year rule, be able to get Barras to come across and then recruit Barry Davis, John Rentel, Doug Wade, and then get Cable to come over. And then, so I think he's been credited with as much as anyone be able to turn around the fortunes of the North Melbourne Football Club through his uh, single focus and his, uh, his tough mind and his resolution to be able to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. North Melbourne's so ahead of the curve, weren't they? And, and sort of pulled themselves out of the wilderness. And sadly, uh, you know, with the passing of time, there's fewer of that group around. Alan Aylett uh, passed away very recently. Albert Mantello uh, a while back. Um, unfortunately, the passage of time takes a toll. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, entertaining guy, Ronnie, and I, I had some uh, good information from him over the years, which gave me some good stories, and I copped <laughs> a couple of bakes from him as well. I'll tell you what, I remember one, I did a, a thing about... Uh, underperforming players, I think, early in the season. And one of them was Shannon Grant. 
And well, that was uh, one of his favourites. Oh, straight on the phone he was. I remember I was driving back from somewhere in the country and uh, I was with my uh, my wife, my then wife, and um, he, he was just, she was going, well, who the hell is this? He was just giving me the most fearsome bake. But, you know, of course, in typical Ronnie Joseph fashion, you know, the next day you could be mates again. So uh, very old school, uh, different era now, but um, uh, a man who knew the game back the front, knew everyone in it. And uh, he'll be sadly missed by a lot of people in footy. So condolences to Ron Joseph's uh, family, uh, to friends and to the North Melbourne Footy Club. All right, that is enough of news. Time to preview some games in the lead up to round two. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round two kicks off Thursday evening at the MCG, 7.20pm, and it sees Carlton taking on Geelong. Uh, Geelong, of course, first round losers. Carlton didn't lose, but they didn't win uh, that draw against Richmond. Uh, some history between those two clubs. The Cats have won 12 of the last 14 meetings against the Blues, a sequence that goes back to 2010. Um, the venue's an interesting one here, Rocket. The Blues have only won one of their last seven games now at the MCG, of course, that including last week's draw. Uh, Geelong, in contrast, been very good on the uh, grounds of the Coliseum. Last Friday was only their second loss in their last 13 appearances on the G. Uh, another factor here for me, Geelong um, sort of becoming in recent years a notoriously slow starter rocket. They lost yeah. Yeah. all four games that they lost last year came in the first nine rounds of a season. Um, after seven games in 2021, they were only 4-3. Ditto in 2020. Uh, 2019's the outlier here because they were won 11 out of 12. But 2018, they were only 3-3. 2017, uh, they were 5-3. So they have been slow starters for uh, five or six years now, uh, which I think is something to take into account. How are you seeing this one? Yeah, I um, that was my big concern last week. I, I did tip them, but I... I uh, in another tipping contest because of when the teams come out, I changed my mind to Collingwood. Just on the fact of that point, I just thought being premiers, they start a couple of weeks later than anyone else, and they did look a little bit underdone compared to Collingwood. They didn't have a lot of run there that last week. They looked pretty good, I thought, um, up to that stage, even though they kicked very accurately to keep themselves in it. I thought Collingwood were the better side, but I thought they showed enough signs. They're going to be a very good side this year, I think. But they Stewart got injured. Um, upset their balance a little bit. De Koning hurt his knee, but st stayed on. Uh, but they just seemed to, uh, you know, ran out of puff that last quarter. They didn't have had runs through the lines. They tried to be more controlled with the ball. So I, I think they can win this week, but uh, anything can happen with them. Just on personnel, you mentioned a couple of key names there. De Koning um, hurt his knee, as you said. He is expected to be fit. So that's good news. Obviously, Tom Stewart won't be. Uh, grade two um, medial ligament injury against the Pies, so he'll be out for a few weeks. Uh, they're saying Jack Bowes a chance to come in and play his first game uh, for the Cats. He missed last week with a calf issue. Mitch Duncan, he has a calf issue as well. He's still uh, a couple of weeks away, I think. Um, so yeah, a couple of... Uh, they wouldn't want to lose to Koning and... Um, Stewart out of that back line, that would be uh, a bit of a worry, particularly with the Blues, with Mackay and 
Turno up the other end. Now, uh, Carlton's availability, they're hopeful. Uh, small forward Corey Durden can be back. He's had a hamstring injury. Uh, George Hewitt has been cleared of uh, damage to his hand. Uh, that happened last Thursday night. Still no Sam Walsh, unfortunately, for them. And uh, Zach Williams, of course, uh, a costly loss. He will miss the entire season with a bad knee injury. So that, that's the uh, news on the the personnel front. Uh, what about that? those potential issues for Geelong down back? I, I can see Mackay and Kurnow being a, a test for a lot of defences. How does Geelong stand up against it, do you think? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. One, uh, you didn't Because they had a couple of defences. Colin Jasny's out as well, whether he gets back. Now, are their systems generally pretty good? Um Stewart's the main one there that can hold that together. So I think if their midfield can uh, get enough uh, support to their defence, I think they can hold Mackay and Kurnow. Um They've got to be able to bring the ball to the ground. I thought Radigalia showed a little bit last week. I think his problem as a defender is going to be his speed off the mark. So if Mackay gets him and gets him up and then turns him around or Kurnow. So it'll be an interesting matchup, whoever he takes. But if they can get... Carlton to kick the ball high, which is what they try and do all the time to have the intercept marks, and he can mark it, Radagalia. I think they can, um, if they can control that and have enough ball through the midfield, I, I think they can win. I'm still not convinced on Carlton. I thought the Carlton-Richmond game last week reinforced to me as where I picked them on the ladder, and, and things can change and they can improve. They'll be 7-10. to 10. That's that's where I think that's where I think both teams will finish, and nothing changed in my mind. I thought uh, Collingwood were able to exploit uh, Geelong on the outside a bit. I think they had close to 70 more uncontested possessions. They seemed leg speed and run seemed to be an issue for them. Does Carlton have the personnel to be able to do that or not? I don't think they have the key. What interests me with Collingwood last week, I know when I talk about Collingwood, is their willingness and ability to hit the ball back into the corridor. Even mm. when we went around traffic, generally teams will go out and around. And Essendon did that well last week against Hawthorne. They used the width that made the ground big. Collingwood can do that, but Collingwood went into the middle. Their ability with Pendlebury and Maynard and these blokes to hit a guy in the in the corridor and then just sieve Geelong. Uh, not many teams do that. Not many teams are prepared to take that ball into the middle. They'll go wide. So um, I don't think Carlton can do that. I don't think they've got the use out of the back line to be able to take that risk. I think it'd be more turnover. So that's where I think Geelong can hold them up. All right, give us a tip and a margin. And remember, you are odds Odd. and I'm evens. I'm an odd you, you are odd. You are odd. Yeah, I picked that. Uh, Seventeen points to cats. Seventeen points Geelong. That is Roddy Ead's tip. Uh, I'm going to go for the cats too. I think Carlton's. I mean, I'd said Geelong's won twelve out of fourteen, but I think Carlton's pushed them close in a lot of those results. Actually, so mm. I don't think they're without a chance. They do. I don't think they're as good at the MCG though. They. Um, I think one point, Ryan, and we've yeah. one check. Let's. They had their two tools. I was really disappointed in Kuno once the ball hit the deck. He had no a willingness. No one, no one mentioned him on the because he's a good player. We'll leave him alone. Mm. Hit the deck, and then Richmond just run it out, and he didn't even chase. And they're playing three smalls, uh, Motlop and Owies and someone else. They had no impact on the board, but they didn't put enough pressure on either. So they've got to get that right. They mix up. They, they let the ball out too easily last week. Uh, Richmond had too many. Um, Inside fifties, and a lot of them were generated by the bat from the defensive fifty into the ground. They did. They had a, I think, sixty-six. It was a, mm. a I think, four sides had more than sixty inside fifties. Yeah. Anyway, a nice little rocket there from you, Rocket. 
Uh, I'm going for the Cats, uh, not by a lot, though. Geelong by six points for me. All right, that is Friday evening. Uh, that is Thursday evening, I beg your pardon. Let's talk about Friday evening now. The Gabba up in Brisbane is the venue for a massive Friday night game. It is a rematch of last year's semi-final uh, between Brisbane and Melbourne, 7.55 Friday p.m. Um, 7.55 p.m. Friday. How am I going? Uh, that is the kickoff time. Uh, recent record between these two. It's uh, 4-3 to Melbourne against the Lions. So um, 50-50, really. Last met in that uh, memorable semi-final at the MCG when the Lions got up by 13 points, reversing what had been two very uh, dominant performances by Melbourne during the home and away rounds. How did Melbourne go at the Gabba? Well, pretty good, um, pretty well, uh, arguably as well as any team in the competition. They've won five of their last seven at the Gabba. It could be a little misleading, that stat, though, because only three of those seven games have been against Brisbane. Of course, uh, hub life in 2020, um, seeing sides play a lot of games at the Gabba and Carrara in Queensland. Brisbane at the Gabba, well, the Gabba 12, they don't call that for nothing, their record there in 2022 was 10 wins and just two losses. Uh, really disappointing first-up performance from the Lions Rocket. In contrast, Melbourne, terrific against the Bulldogs. I'd certainly go into this game with uh, plenty of confidence, you'd think. Yes, they will do. Obviously, losing Pickett, it'll be a big loss. He was terrific last week. They defended really well, and then on the fast break, Pickett was able to get them out the back. Won't have that option this week. Depending on their injuries, May won't be back, but uh, do they lose anyone to Salem come back? Um, I've got no doubt that uh, the Lions will bounce back. Um, I'm a big in the psychological, the motivational stuff. They, they'll have a kicking from last week. They will be better, um, but they've got some issues. And I think if they can't, they play like they do the weekend, perhaps, you know, I had them top four, but maybe you're right, that question mark on them and are they gritty enough, are they tough enough to do it week in and week out and against good sides. So uh, I was really disappointed. They just uh, they just uh, actually actually crumbled last week after halftime. They were just really poor. They didn't have any answers and didn't answer anything. So they've got their issues down back. Um, and if their midfield don't... Uh, work hard enough both ways, they can be exposed. The other thing is their forward line. Cameron hardly touched it. Danaher didn't touch it. They were, and people didn't show much. They they let the ball out too easily. Uh, I thought Port Adelaide were terrific rebounding. They just moved the ball really quickly. And Brisbane had no, no had no answer to that. Well, in our season preview, we, we both talked about our, our worries about Brisbane's flakiness and we, threw up that those forwards as the very example of what we're talking about. And, I mean, this is the worry, isn't it? Look, they're all, don't get us wrong, they're all, they're, they're really, really talented players, Danaher, Hipwood and Cameron. But are they reliable? I think, you know, they are all, th- they are all players who are prone to disappearing acts on occasion, aren't they? They are. And I, but I think, your, think your stat about how many games they've won at home shows they love the home crowd. Flat track bullies? Yeah, I don't know about flat track bullies, but certainly love the black shorts on. So they will <laughs> play better, play better at home and got the crowd. And I think they showed they're not flat track bullies last final against Melbourne, where they were against, you know, up against it and playing at the MCG and did really well. So they've got it in them. They just need to do it consistently and when when they're challenged. And uh, Melbourne will certainly challenge them. You know, when you've got 
Oliver and Petrarca, Gorn and Grundy both last week showed that's going to be a positive for them. It shows them forward as well. I thought Petty, it's Petty to me now is the most underrated player in the competition with May out. He did an exceptional job. Like his ability to body his opponent and let Lever come in, sacrifice his game to let Lever mark the ball as uh, the intercept player. I think Brisbane have got to tag Lever. You've got to mm. sit somewhat on him. Don't give him an inch. Don't let him interfere with the ball in the air. Block his run. Let someone sacrifice themselves. That'll give him the best chance of winning. Well, that was, that was a terrific performance by Lever without May there up against the height of that Bulldog forward setup, wasn't it? Now, just in terms of personnel, you mentioned no picket, and obviously that's costly. But uh, Fritch, May, Salem, and Viney all been declared fit. Wow. Okay, Ray's coming back. Okay. Yeah. So awesome. that's uh I mean that that is massive news for them, isn't it? Uh and uh, it is, yeah. And it'd be interesting though playing all four who haven't played a lot. Uh Fritch has played a little bit more than them, but missed a few weeks. It's a big ask. It'll be humid. Um, it'll be warm. Uh fatigue will sit in. They've got to be careful with all four coming back, I think. So if games tight the last quarter, it could get the cramp, could the calves go. Uh, I I don't think I'd be playing all four, but anyway, that'll be up to Powers to be uh, smarter than I am. Couple, uh, <laughs> don't say that. A couple of uh, personnel uh, issues for Brisbane. Coleman, um, really heavy knock he took last week. He misses Friday night's game, but uh, they've got some selection poses too. Zorko, he's available, got through uh, Tuesday's main session. Archie, has trained. He'll be assessed later in the week. Uh, Darcy Gardner, important defender for them in a defence that can be stretched fairly easily, but uh, still uh, appears a little way off coming back to the fold. So, um, gee, I'm, I'm finding it hard to go with a tip. I, I'm a big believer in the bounce-back theory and yeah, home ground too. advantage, all that. Uh, you go first. What's your tip? Um, I am a big believer in that. So I think Brisbane will be better than what they were. Um and again, psychologically, if Melbourne understand that and don't take it easy because they've had a great round one, we know I think Melbourne can win, especially with a, you've got four available, at least two or three of those players playing. I, I think even without Pickett, I think uh, uh, that Melbourne can win. I, um, I think they can expose them. Brisbane's best chance is a winning the ball and uh, in the middle, um, in his most weeks. But nullifying Gorn, I think he's more of an impact than um, Grundy, and nullifying Lever. They've got to be able to set someone in their forward line to stop Lever uh, being being able to intercept. But I still like Melbourne, and I think they might win going away in the end, 21 points. Oh, healthy margin. Well, comparatively speaking, I'm not that game. I am going for Melbourne, but uh, very narrow margin. I'm going for the Demons to get up by two points and continue that good record at the Gabba. Okay, there's Thursday and Friday. Let's move on to what is a jam-packed Saturday. The battle of the, uh, well, traditionally, the two Magpie clubs at the MCG Saturday afternoon. And uh, finally, after about uh, 28 years or whatever, we've resolved that very tedious jumper debate. Um, not an, an issue in this game, but, oh, gee, that's a boring one, that one, Rocket, the old prison bar. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. we won't talk about it then. Yeah, no, no, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Oh, Rocket, give me the hurry up there. One forty-five, a Saturday afternoon at the MCG, the Magpies taking on the power um, Port Adelaide have won seven out of the last ten 
against Collingwood uh, in a run going back to 2015. Three of those wins have been at the MCG, and two of the losses um, were by no more than six points. So their record against the Pies is pretty good. The record at the MCG isn't bad either for a interstate side. They are seven six at the G going back to 2016. Uh, Collingwood, of course, well, the MCG is like a second home for some of those guys. They could live there. Uh, and since the start of 2022, their record there is 14 wins and just three losses. And, of course, kicking off this season with a great win against the Cats last week. Uh, they didn't start favourites in that game, Rocket, but they'll, uh, well, as good as Port Adelaide were, Collingwood will start favourite this week. How do you see this one panning out? Yeah, I think the Pies will start favourite, but it's interesting you... Uh, read the stats of the win-loss against each other. And I was going to say, I think Port Adelaide have done pretty well against Collingwood. And even when Collingwood were a strong side. So uh, it won't phase Port Adelaide playing at the MCG. And I love the way Port Adelaide played, especially that second half. I was worried about their defence uh, being a bit stodgy and not moving the ball quickly. But they took the game on and changed angles. Houston at half-backs becoming a really good player their midfield that we were talking about wine, but Butters and Dersma and Rosie grabbed that opportunity. So I think there's some positive signs there. Horde Francis, amazing third quarter, and he's clearly going to be a key. But just to your, as soon as you mentioned the defence, first person I thought of, and this guy's crucial to them, Alir Alir. He was fantastic for them. Yeah, it, it shows you if you've got a really good intercept player, Stewart for Geelong, Lever. And Aaliyah Aaliyah has done that, that if they can find players, uh, there's Jonas, and they get someone else, whether McKenzie can stand up, to be able to take the main keys, he is such a good intercept and reads the play really well and uses the ball well coming out of the defence. And players have got confidence because if you're a teammate and it goes in his area, like Levers here, players are already spreading. They're not going to defend. They think, well, these guys are going to mark it. So they're a Lear or Lever, and they're already in on the outlets. And then the ball transitions so quickly. And I think he's he's offered that to them. But as I mentioned, Dersma, Butters, Rosie's a good, good player. Uh, Horn Francis, another one. Bokes back this week. I think they'll test Collingwood. I I I don't think there'll be much in this. Um, I love the way Collingwood played last week, though. They hit the corridor. Ken Hinckley's got to be able to stop that ball. Comes back in the back 50 to just to the back end of the uh, the centre square. That's where Collingwood are hitting their targets, and that's where the game opens up, hits to goey, and they change direction for me, and they score. So if they can block that and force Collingwood to go wide and around, it will give them a, a greater opportunity to win. Just a question without notice and off the top of your head, and it, look, it's not an easy thing to do, but if you could sort of pinpoint the way a team plays or, or what its greatest calling card is, um, say with the Bulldogs at the moment, we'd say tall forwards or whatever. What is it with Port? What's Port's great strength, do you think? Well, I was that's what I was worried about going through this season. What What is their strength? I thought they were a, a hard-working, back to their roots as a club, you know, the blue collar. I think back to Ken Hinckley's first season when they just lost to Collingwood in the prelim final. They scared teams by their ability and willingness to run and non-stop footy. And as happens, we think, oh, I could tell internally, oh, we've got to get better defensively. So they defended with ball in hand. They went around the boundary and they lost their one wood and they went didn't scare teams. They brought that back on the weekend. They Their ability to run and willingness to spread and take some risks 
and use the angles coming out of the back, but also back inside 50, gives their forwards a greater chance. And that's what they've got to have. Don't be scared if they get a bad defeat. Don't be scared if they have some goals kicked on them in a row, and it might happen against Collingwood, but take the game on. Take the game on and challenge Collingwood and see if they're going to cope without how. If it's just what they do with with Darcy Moore, kick it away from him, uh, take someone. Yeah, so I, I I like the way they played. If they can continue that, they'll certainly make the eight. That's a great topic for discussion. That thing about overcoaching, because when you mentioned that, it made me think of GWS after they got within a kick of that 2016 grand final. I reckon they then sort of gave away the one would searching for a bit more yeah, strength. Oh, no or, doubt. No yeah. doubt. Instead of thinking about positive about what's got us there, they're thinking about, oh, what's actually might have let us down, where mm-hmm. we can improve that, and overcorrect too much to become defensive. In the last few years, GWS were quite a stodgy, boring team. Yeah, yeah. But the weekend, I didn't see much of their game. But from all accounts, even with players injured, like Whitfield and Kelly off, they still took the game on, and they've got some firepower. So... Think about coaches. Coaches don't like to give goals away. They don't like to be. They like to be in control and positions and where you stand. But if a team's coming at you and you don't know where the ball's going, you can't set your team up. So they don't like that as an opposition. So you, you do that and get them to challenge. So like Port did last week and Collingwood are doing and did last year. It puts a shivers in the opposition coach. And I, I like the way Port played last week. Interesting stuff. Uh, you mentioned Jeremy Howe, obviously massive loss for Collingwood. I guess the the question there is, uh, I did write this in a piece about about the Pies. Um, they appear better equipped now to withstand uh, injuries. I think there, there's an evenness, but uh, specifically, um, dare I say it, Billy Frampton, great chance for him to come alive in that no, you, 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 I was thinking about it. You couldn't help yourself. I've got to leave him alone. I've got to leave him alone. No, no. I, I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. But um, he he's the obvious replacement, isn't he? Oh, yes. And from all reports, he had a pretty good pre-season. So they've recruited him. So I've got to give him an opportunity. So hopefully he can hold it down and you know, give him. But Darcy Moore was terrific last week as captain, but uh, directed that back line together really well. So... Um, yeah, oh, there's everything blinding up for the Pies. Uh, again, if they lose a Ruckman, I worry about them. But at the moment, they're going really well. You know what I'm going to say now, don't you? I think Frampton's going to show them the way. <laughs> I think they will show him the way. Yeah, I think that they're, they're the only two Peter Frampton songs I actually know. <laughs> All right, uh, give us a tip. Um, I think a close one. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Port get up. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I'd give uh, Pies by seven points. Yeah, you've got to have the courage of your convictions. Don't do the old, oh, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm going to go with a favourite. Oh, so, yeah, I have to pick Collingwood at home. Okay, so how many points? Seven. Seven points, okay. I'm going for the Pies as well. Uh, ditto, I think Port is going to keep me very honest. I'm going for Collingwood by 12 points. All right, that is at the MCG, 145. Uh, later on, Saturday afternoon, over in Adelaide, there's a, uh, a rematch of a grand final of a few years ago. 4.35 Eastern Standard Time, Adelaide Oval, Adelaide taking on Richmond. Uh, the Crows 6-4 against Richmond since 2015. That might surprise people given how good Richmond has been, winning three premierships in that time. Uh, five of those wins though at Adelaide Oval and, of course, one of the losses, um, the 2017 Grand Final. Richmond's record at Adelaide Oval, uh, 7 
uh, wins and 10 losses, so uh, not outstanding. Um, injury news. Matt Crouch, another two weeks on the sidelines. For the Crows, uh, Josh Worrell, hamstring, he'll be another three weeks. Crouch has started running, um, but uh, like I said, still a couple of weeks away. Um, for the Tigers, Ivan uh, Soldo and Robbie Tarrant closing in on senior returns, maybe uh, still one or two weeks for both of them. Uh, Brown in some uh, decent form, pushing for a potential AFL debut, but broke his wrist, unfortunately. Otherwise, uh, Richmond coming out of that draw against Carlton, pretty unscathed, Rocket. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting one. They... It's a really interesting way, way to look at Richmond's performance. 66 inside 50s, a lot to like if you look at stats. Um, they, but they had a lot of turnovers. They looked really rusty, uh, except for Lynch. He's kicked three and probably should have had four or five. Um, was a dominant one up there. But they didn't really look the same side that they've been in the past. Taranto played really well, but he's he didn't hurt them by foot. He just a scrubber kick forward. Hopper had a poor game, really had no impact at all. Uh, Martin was okay. So you can look at the positives, then you can look at and say, well, they are a bit away. So I give Adelaide a chance at home. They've they, they've actually done okay against uh, the Tigers in the past. I, I still think Richmond got a, a too much ability to let this one slip. Adelaide kicked poorly last week against the Giants uh, for goal. Could have been right in the game. Um, but uh, again, Laird didn't have a great game last week. The Tigers need to sit on him. He's he's their mainstay. If he can now their their midfields their query. I think the the Adelaide Crows. They've got a star pack forward line. Rankin did okay last week. Uh, can throw him. I think Rochelle did okay as a as a, a a midfield player went in and ended up with three goals. So they've got some talent with their kids. But um, I just think there's still enough doubt on me at the Crows over the park. And I think uh, the Tigers' experience should get them over the line. They fall off the perch a bit quickly for mine, the Crows. I mean, that, you know, it was 37 degrees or something up there. GWS down, you know, three players in the end. Yeah. And they're the best part of five goals up. You shouldn't be losing from those sort of situations. And and also, you know, year four now, this um, build under Matthew Nick. So, so they'd be very disappointed with that. And you'd, they'd be wanting to make a sizable point here. Um, that record is interesting because their record against Richmond all up is is pretty good. Just with the Tigers, that that amount of inside fifties, they haven't over their journey as a good side, even going back to twenty seventeen, they haven't necessarily been that efficient, have they? I remember late in twenty seventeen, they were fairly inefficient, I think, in terms of converting entries, and then something clicked. You know, I remember Jacob Townsend came in and started kicking bags of goals, and the the pressure seemed to go up a notch. Is is that the missing ingredient for them, do you think, out of last week, or is it something else where they're a bit... No, I think you're week? right. I think it's that kick inside 50, because they got a lot of their goals when they were a really good side. Like, Rewalt was a smart player, a good player, Lynch marking it. But it was also the the ground-level players, Butler with speed and getting a lot on pressure and ball going forward. Obviously, Martin <laughs> was a, a star. So they've lost that bit of speed, the forward line. Rewalt's struggled last week, had his pants pulled down completely by Lewis Young. Um, he's a good player. So Jax was looking an old player last week, um, but he can bounce back. You never write off a, a really good player. Lynch looked uh, looked a class above. He, he was terrific, but they didn't have any ground-level players. Bolton 
he's got too much layer for me. That goal he missed when you try to kick it around the body, like, you go, please, is that fair, you're fair dinkum. Um, and so same with Harry, we haven't talked about that, but Harry Mackay as well, lacks confidence at all. Everyone over the precinct say, oh, he's kicking better. He wouldn't kick a drop punt. I, I, I did ask Damien Harwick at the press conference about Shay Bolton and uh, he didn't want to bag him, but I got the impression he might have had a few stern words to him afterwards. Oh. I mean, if you... If you're not going to kick a drop punt when you're that close to dead in front, when are you going to kick one? Oh, exactly. And he looked to me like, I'm okay with players kicking around their body. That's fine. But have a routine. He looked like he was tossing the ball in the air. He didn't know what to do. He was betwixt and between. Well, go back and have a routine. Practice as a training. And so you know that you're confident with it. Anyway, I um, yeah, Bolton's a player that needs to stand up for them. You know, he, he can do the, you know, the miraculous stuff, but he needs to be a consistent performer for them. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's enough positive to come out of Richmond's performance last week that they can uh, take a positive step this weekend. You know the the other I might have mentioned this the other week, and he's he's not that experienced, and and he's probably in the bottom half of players you'd think about in terms of importance. But I think Morris Rioli Junior is going to be really really important to that side in terms of that applying forward pressure because I, I reckon when they looked better towards the end of last season, he was a major part of that. Yeah, very much so. You know, he's just, you know, he's only a young lad um, and his fitness will get better. So, that's, you know, it's a a tough role to play to be able to win the ball as well, um, kick a goal or two, but then to be able to put pressure on. So it's a multifaceted role, which is when you've got a player hanging off you. So he's... um, his fitness level seems to be improving. I thought he showed a, he showed a bit last week. Yeah, I agree with you. So he's going to be quite important to them and uh, having that speed around and Bolton can do that, add to that. you got Martin there. It just adds a bit of uh, class around their forward line. But you, you're right with your point is there, and like the Bulldogs, that ball inside 50 is is the money ball and that's what they need to be able to improve on. All right, tip and margin, please. Uh, Richmond, 13 points. All right, gee, we're going for some close games this week. Uh, I reckon the Tigers can hit a bit of form here. I'm going for Richmond to win this one by 22 points. All right, back in Melbourne on Saturday evening. Saturday evening, Marvel Stadium, a battle of two co-tenants, Western Bulldogs taking on St Kilda. Uh, The Bulldogs 8-5 against the Saints over the last 10 seasons. Every one of those uh, games at Marvel Stadium, except for the 2020 elimination final, which was played at the Gabba and which St Kilda won. Uh, Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium, pretty good. 8-3 there last year. And St Kilda, since the start of 2022, 7-6 at Marvel Stadium. Uh, that number taking in uh, what was a terrific win for them against Fremantle on Sunday. Rocket, their injury list is still really extensive. In fact, 15 players on the injury list this week. Um, And we talked about which are the key ones. Well, uh, anyone coming back, they've actually lost two more players this week, Jimmy Webster and Jack Bytel. Windhager will be available after a hand injury. Uh, Seb Ross might be okay News isn't that good on Membry, though. He's still at least a month away. Jack Billings still at least six weeks away. Nick Caulfield still at least a month away. Zach Jones indefinite. Dan McKenzie indefinite. Um, Max King, of course, the big one there. Shoulder injury still six weeks away. I'll tell you what, given the injury list, that was a great win over the Dockers, wasn't it? How much of a 
how much of a chance do you give them against the doggies? Um, if they play like they did last week, and obviously Ross Lyon, most, most coaches do the coach effort. You've got to have effort to give yourself your game plan to work and your talent to work. And some really good players have asked me while I was coaching, what, what do you what do you talk, what do you coach effort for? Isn't that they're just going to have effort? And I said, mate, if you're going to coaching, you cannot trust that there's going to be effort every week and every minute of the game. Um, you know, you don't lose too much skill, but you can lose the effort. And St Kilda, to their credit, had magnificent effort. They had a good system. Um, made a lot of mistakes. But to me, Fremantle just didn't expect that intensity and that that uh, you know, they kicked the first goal of the game. I, I think they came with the attitude, and I said last week, that they'd lose if they just thought they had to turn up and win. And they just didn't they didn't have that uh, contest and consistent effort to be able because on paper they had far, you know, far more talented side. So um, I think full credit to St Kilda. They did really well. They'll they'll bring that same effort this week, and the Bulldogs. If they play the same way and they left it dropped away after half time, they're quite predictable in the way they play. And I think Lion will set up knowing uh try and kick it long to their tools, there will be intercepts and there'll be rebounds. So the Bulldogs have got to change their style. They've got to be able to hit a hit up. They've got to be smarter with the use of ball inside fifties, just coming back, keep coming out with regularity and uh it's uh, kick it up the chimney and hope, hopefully the tools can do the job and it's not going to work. Well, they've got some personnel issues too. I mean, Rory Lobb, um, disappointing debut for him, turns out playing injured. Um, he is now out of the equation uh, with a knee injury, uh, ankle injury, sorry, and potentially for a few weeks. And at the other end, uh, Liam Jones, a bit of copying a bit of friendly fire from... Uh, Josh Bruce and uh, hurting his neck in the process and uh, he's also in doubt for that game as well so that could unfortunately uh, for them the Saints don't have many tools on the park at the moment but the other thing for the Bulldogs uh, Rocket is it's okay to have tall forwards but you need something at their feet and I thought the Doggies really missed that ground level presence uh, represented by Paddy Waitman who's still a few weeks away uh, with a groin injury and Arthur Jones, who, okay, is is a raw kid, but uh, he looks pretty capable. He's still at least one, if not two weeks away. So that's an issue for them, isn't it? Oh, very much so. The ball hit the deck. No, I, I like Riley West the way he played last year. I, I don't know why he's not in the team, but they need to get a better balance. That The ball's, ball's going to hit the deck. So if you've got – they didn't play four forwards really most of the time. It was three. But playing three full forwards, they can't all mark the same ball. I mean, there's only going to be so many chances that they can mark it. So Norton's a star, and he's going to be the main focus. So um, Jamara's, to me, is more of a an athletic type that gets up and around, can take a mark. Sam Darcy had a poor one last week. He's going to have that as a kid, uh, and they can't expect, can't rely on him. So whether they play him uh, again and give him another opportunity there and mix him down back, I'm not too sure. But they need to get a balance. But the the one to me is, you know, the balance of the selection, but also, as I mentioned, the the ball going inside 50. We mentioned about Richmond, but the Bulldogs were worse. They were so predictable. They're a handball team. They handball around stoppages and get a player free and they multiple handballs. Teams have worked that out a bit now. So they they put them, they know where the pressure is. They have a, a coordinate players around and the next, like an onion layer. So the layers of players now know it's going to handball. So they're not as... Not as dominant as they have been in the past, but they need to kick the ball better. I I thought the teams that played really well on the weekend were teams that use the ball well by foot. 
And I think that's that's becoming gold. If you can use it well by foot and going forward and use the angles and hit the space, hit the forwards, I think I think it gives you a really good chance of winning. Yeah, it's interesting with the handball, isn't it? It was a, obviously a huge weapon for the doggies in that premiership year of 2016, but uh, we're seven years on from that, and the game's sort of swung more back towards a, a kicking-style game, hasn't it? It has, and I think that's the overlap handball. Uh, it's, it's, it's come more into it, but they'll round stoppages. They had numbers, they get extra numbers there, and they flick it around to release a spare player. Uh, teams are now putting pressure on the knowing the dogs do that. They haven't really added to their game. Uh, so I think if a concentration handball, maybe they haven't concentrated on kicking, so their kicking skills aren't as good, but they need to lower their eyes going inside 50 and just, just not bomb the footy. Or well, good to see, too, you're on first-name basis with Jamara Eugle-Hagen. Uh, your predecessor on this podcast had a bit of a block about Jamara and he sort of uh, came up with a combination of Indigenous key forward and Pakistani number three batsman. He called him Jamara Ul-Huk. Ul-Huk? Intimam Ul-Huk. Yeah. Uh, Knowing Jamara at Scotch College when I was there. So um, everyone seems to call him that. So uh, And uh, big hello to Shorey, enjoying his sea change uh, down at uh, the Geelong Way. Somewhere tip in a margin, Rocket. Uh, Yeah, this this one for me is a tough one. this one's all going to be played between the years. Uh, I still think the doggies have too much talent. They bring their intensity and effort uh, by 11 points. Uh, I'm around that margin too, uh, Ross Lyon. I mean, this St Kilda situation is tailor-made for Ross, isn't it? Backs to the wall, yep. offensive strength, effort, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think they'll keep the doggies very honest, but I'm going for the Bulldogs to win by 16 points. All right, uh, let's talk about the other game on Saturday evening. Hey, guys, if you like the Footyology podcast with Rowan Connolly and Rodney Ede, you'll like the ESPN Footy podcast with myself, Matt Walsh, Jake Michaels, and champion data's Christian Jolly as we break down all the big storylines in the AFL. Another clash bringing together... uh... A team expected to win last week, which lost, and a team, uh, well, which may not get too many wins on the board this year, but certainly enjoyed that one, speaking there about North Melbourne, uh, who travelled to Perth to take on Fremantle, 7.30pm Eastern Standard Time at Optus Stadium. Uh, the Dockers, great record against the Roos, 6-1 against them since 2017, and Fremantle at Optus Stadium are 9 4 since the start of last year. The Roos have played at Optus Stadium six times and their record there is two for the pretty healthy, the Dockers at the moment. Travis Collier, knee injury, he's out for five weeks. The only injury of note, really. Um, Michael Walters now off the injury list and should be available this week. Uh, that'd be a, a massive in for them and uh, badly needed because their forward line was pretty ordinary. Wingman Nathan O'Driscoll is also a chance to play. Uh, Kangaroos sent Ruckman Tristan Tristan sorry Zeri off for surgery on Tuesday um, with that ankle injury. Uh, ben Mackay closer to coming back than initially thought, and uh, Archer Tucker Wardlaw could all play. VFL this weekend as they returned from injury. Uh, massive test for Alistair Clarkson's new side rocket, but uh, their spirits will be up after getting over the line against the Eagles in game number one under Clarko. 
Yeah, we spoke about it last week about the the positive influence of a new new coach, not only just because it's Clarkson, but the enthusiasm that generates. Now they had some really good players, Uniyaki and uh, uh, Simpkin wasn't as dominant as normal, but he's a very good player. Uh, Larky's kicked six. Zerha played, which we didn't know whether he was going to or not. So they Compton showed a bit up forward. Um, so there were some new players that did really well for him, some of the young players. So I think there's now they've got a good balance for a younger team. They've got a good balance of some experienced players, like obviously Cunnington back, and you've still got Zebel, and you've got some other players who have played five and six years. So unlike Hawthorne, they've got a balance of bodies around and experience to help these younger players. So I would have thought they'd be really pleased with what they showed last week. It's really disappointing from the Eagles. I don't know if they can replicate that this week. I think the free men will be on notice back at home. Uh, I, I got the bounce back factor, like you said uh, earlier on. So yeah, I, I think um, I think the Dockers will win this and probably win it okay. But they have got problems up forward. Jackson didn't show much. Tabner forgot to touch it. Uh, there's there's a few issues there. Um, the you know the pressure on them was enormous. I thought St Kilda put a lot of pressure on. So they uh, Brayshaw did okay, but it's not his normal dominant self. Sarong they need to lift their games there through the middle. What about Fife up forward? I was now? just about to going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, Victoria, is he gone? Is he? Is he? No, I, I, you'd never say that. But I, I've never been convinced by the Fife can be a star forward thing for. for as much as anything, because his kicking's not good enough. You've got to nail the chances, and he he misses too many. But I, I just don't see him as as a forward. And you know the other thing about Fremantle now, it, it's easy to sort of do the old sort of cliched thing about oh, you know, they're they're lions at home and and lambs away because their record on the road last year I think was uh, substantially improved, but. They're still not as resilient a team mentally as I think you need to be if you're going to really, you know, get up to the pointy end of the season. Yeah, okay, they got to wait. They, they like last year. They they won the first final, mind you. They were seven goals down, came back to win it at home. But they got absolutely cleaned up in in the second final. We're never going to win that. You got to be tougher than you got to be harder than that. I, they don't look to me like a particularly resilient. Tough team. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And uh, you, you've got to have that bit of edge, I think, for the teams that are that are at the pointy end of the, of the season and they haven't reached where the big boys play. In my mind, they're still – and they want to want to be stuck in this mindset too long about that emerging team, that developing team, this young team that comes on. Because then you make excuses for young teams when you do that. And I think they've got to – They've got to bridge that gap. They've got to jump that hurdle to be able to deliver week in and week out with a harder edge. And I, I think they they are missing that. Um, I think Sean Darcy's a good player, but I saw him last week. I thought that Zeri was doing quite well against him early on. And I think Darcy's got to take a bit more of a leadership role. He's, he's got a bit of aggression in him. I didn't see him use that enough last week. So I think across the board there, uh, they have played a good defensive game in the past and then got them on the rebound. But it seems to be nice footy, and I think they need to get in the trenches a bit more. Okay, tip and a margin, thank you. No, I'm going for Fremantle. I think they'll bounce back. I think 25 points. Uh, all right, I'm going a bit more than that. I'm going to go for Freo by 36 points to uh, build up those stocks of confidence again. All right, that is Saturday done and dusted. Three games on the Sunday to finish off round two. First game on the Sunday agenda at the SCG, 1.10pm, and it is Sydney 
taking on Hawthorne, a rematch of uh, two grand finals of the last decade, 2012 and 2014, of course. Uh, these two sides are six each, six wins each since the 2014 grand final. So they're pretty evenly matched. Uh, Sydney, very good at the SCG of late. They won 10 out of 12 games there in 2022. Uh, Hawthorne did have a good record there in their glory years. They won five in a row at the SCG, in fact, between 2011 and 2018. But they've lost three out of four appearances there since uh, great win for the Swans up on the Gold Coast in difficult conditions last week. Not a lot of changes, you'd think, with them. Um, most of their uh, players on the out side of that uh, group still needing a bit of time on the injury front. And uh, who are we talking about there? Hickey, Reed, Fox, Clark, all grand final players. They might all need another week. Uh, Sam Wicks, um, a bit longer, I think, uh, with that shoulder injury. Hawthorne, really disappointing uh, performance from them against Essendon last week, just uncompetitive towards the end. Uh, and some injury issues. Mitch Lewis sorely missed up forward. He's still at least a month away with that knee injury. Uh, young Jaker, uh, he's a, a quite a mercurial player. He's still at least three weeks off with a hamstring. And uh, now losing Chad Wingard with a calf injury. Looks like he's going to be out for a week calf injury uh, is that, well he's not an old man yet but uh, they do call it the old man's injury but uh, well Hawks would need all hands on deck at the moment and Mitch Lewis continues to be a very costly absentee for them Rocket yeah very much so they looked uh, they looked okay in the first quarter last week I thought their first five or six weeks they might be okay until the grind gets the young kids but uh, they were really poor after quarter time going inside 50 Um Kachiski didn't didn't show much. Uh, Fergus Green didn't show much, um, but their ball inside fifty was was poor. But I was really disappointed in their defence um, as well. I think the ball came in too quickly. Maybe it's not the defenders' fault. The ball came outside their own forward fifty, the other end as well, too easily. Um, Essendon were used the ball really well coming out of the back fifty with no pressure, and uh, going to a smaller ground will help their. What I thought they had a lack of run last week. The big ground got them, Essendon went wide. But on a smaller ground, the physicality is going to suffer because they've got smaller bodies. So I can see um, if the Swans are on song that, that the Hawks could get a belting in this one. I think uh, Sydney showed their professionalism last week. It was very slippery, but they were clean. Um, Warner played well. Rampy had a field day down back. Uh, Lloyd out of the back line as well. But I thought, uh, no, they look very assured the Swans last week, very professional. And uh, Buddy Franklin out, obviously, with uh, suspension, but uh, you wonder if he'll be that badly missed. He's not going to be missed. Anyway, no. yeah. No, he won't be. He's kicked the first couple last week, but he didn't do much up there. He's had seven, he's obligatory seven possessions. So I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be a miss. Just wanted to ask you about Hawthorne. Uh, a lot of costly turnovers coming out of defence against the Bombers. Um, you know, Sam Frost, as we all know, is pretty sort of accident-prone yeah. on occasions. But I, those errors, to you, did they look like decision-making errors or skill errors? Uh, I think a mixture of both. I think a mixture of some players just didn't have enough uh, skill there. I think Frost is like that. Like, he he did a really competitive job first half. I thought his body work and his, his willingness to support his teammates was fantastic. But when he gets a the ball is a bit like the rabbit in the headlights and 
he runs and without thinking where he's going to go. I think he's just got to probably just kick it long rather than try and pass it and just keep it basic and simple. I think their midfield, like Newcomb's a good player. Warple played quite well. McKenzie looks like he's going to be a player. But Newcomb, to me, is not a great runner. He's a tough player. But he needs to be your third best midfielder where he's probably their best midfielder. And I don't think he can cover the deck. Um, you now go from side to side, like on a parish. Parish has had 37. He probably didn't use as well, Parish, as he could have. But they did a good job with McGuinness. And I'd, I'd hate to see him dropped on Merritt. And then they changed him late in the second quarter. Then Merritt had a field day once he went off him. So it shows that McGuinness can do a role. And this week he would need to, I'd, I'd send him to Warner and send him to Warner. Now, Sydney will cope with that okay because they've got so many other midfielders. But uh, uh, and they put McGuinness back to halfback flank, but he's not a great kick. He's not going to set the game up. He needs to be able to keep playing his role as far as tagging an opposition play. Hawthorne want to really run and gun, don't they? Really take the the fight up to uh, opposition sides and bust them open with pace and league speed. But I don't know if they've have they got the personnel to do that. I'm not sure they're no, that explosive. No. no, I agree. I think their midfield's slow. Um, and I don't know what they've got up half back to be able to do that. I agree with you. I, I just I think last year teams didn't know what they like. They get some numbers back and then they'd explode from half back. And like they beat Port by ten goals last year early in the season. They just ran in numbers and it was like, oh, geez, we didn't see that coming. Teams have done a bit of homework on them. Now they've got to be able to answer that challenge. That uh, that's their number one. Would you say, oh, well, what's their brand? What what a team's brand? Well, theirs is the run and gun from half back probably lacking the personnel to carry that out. If they get stopped, where do they go? I like the way you said, I agree with you, like it was a really surprising thing to happen. No, no, no. I, I do agree with you most of the time, but I don't want to tell you that. <laughs> well, in case I get a big head. <laughs> that happened years ago. Um, give us a tip and a margin, please. Oh, I think the Swans by 37. Yeah, okay, comfortably. I'm, I'm with you too. Uh, in fact, I'm going to push up into the 40s. I reckon Sydney by 42 points. All right, let's move on to game two on Sunday. This one's at Marvel Stadium, Essendon's first home game of the season, 3.20pm, up against Gold Coast. Uh, the Suns very disappointing at home against the Swans last week. Uh, pretty ordinary record against the Bombers, the Suns. I guess pretty ordinary record against most sides, let's be honest. They've won only two out of 13 meetings with Essendon, both of those victories coming at Carrara. Uh, Gold Coast, they've had a couple of wins at Marvel in recent times. Their record there is eight wins and 22 losses, but a lot better over the last five seasons. They've won five at least and lost nine. Um, Essendon uh, losing Peter Wright just before the game last week. Uh, massive uh, blow for them, and uh, you and I both got a bit uh, nervous about our tip uh, initially there, Rocket, but uh, it all turned out all right. They played pretty well there. Jake Stringer nearing a return from hamstring, but you'd think another week for him. Uh, apart from that, may not make a change, I think. Uh, apart from uh, that, for Gold Coast, uh, Weller has to get through one more week of training this week and then he'll be right to make a comeback from a ruptured ACL. So fingers crossed there. Um, and probably another week for both Lemons and Powell, who might be back the following week. But um, a bit of senior talent missing for them. Brandon Ellis, uh, another one who's out for quite a while for them with a calf 
injury, uh, really disappointing with the Suns, isn't it, Rocket? We all expect them to take another step, but, gee, performances like that make you think they're still pretty immature. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. I, know I watched the game a little bit in uh, oh, the end, the last quarter, and, and the great Dermot Brereton commenting on the on the game um, and just really highlighting two of their forwards who just didn't give anything as far as defensively. Chole was one and Jeffrey being the other about ball hitting their deck and no forward pressure coming out. So Ainsworth worked hard. Um, King, you know, it's, it's going to take him a while. It was a little bit wet, but you know, he's he's going to take a while to hit his, you know, get his confidence back from his knee. But really, except for which, which was sensational. So which controlled controlled the game in the air, and there was a ruck. He, he was fantastic. Miller was his normal workman. Like Rao worked hard, uh, but their backline was was pedestrian. Um, it's a solid backline um, who work hard, who but didn't generate a lot of run out of there. So they're really going to rely on their mids. They seem to get Sydney a little bit in the end, a bit through fatigue, but they're a bit forward of the ball. So once the turnover came, they were able to get onto it. So Essendon, which hasn't been their strength in the past, they did it better last week, is defending the ball. How can they defend? How can they cause turnovers? Uh, don't let the Swans be able to get through the lines. If they can... Uh, you know, young David did well. So their Menzi did well last week and their forwards. And having the smaller forwards who put pressure on, if they can keep that up and that intensity, they could win the game. But if they don't, they can get chopped up. So I really don't know who to who to pick in this game, to be honest. It's another one sitting on the fence. It depends who can bring their A game and bring what's required. Um, still, the jury's still out on this and about can they consistently do it quarter by quarter, uh, that tough sort of image. And... Uh, Merritt had a down game last week. I don't think the Swans, uh, sorry, the Suns will tag. So Merritt and Parrish could both get hold of them this week. If if I were Essendon, I'd be tagging Miller or tagging one of their keys in the midfield. Thought it was quite a mature performance by Essendon relative to you know the last year or so. What what I liked most about it was, um, you know, they were playing a fairly methodical possession game early on. Hawthorne had that surge early on and, and then Essendon thought, okay, let, let's up the ante a bit here. And they just started to to run and gun a bit more, take a few more risks with their use of the ball through the middle. And I thought it served them well. And I, I thought they were, by the end of it, they were a much more confident and accomplished looking team than they were at the start. So yeah. I think I think they'll get a lot out of that and um, some really good signs. For me, the big plus for them was Archie Perkins. I think, uh, you know, three years now in the system, he's developed a bit of a tougher edge and I, I can see him becoming a really, I know he played forward, but I can see him becoming a valuable part of that midfield mix, just changing things up a bit and giving him a bit of a, yeah. a harder edge. So, look, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying. In terms of talent, you might have these two sides at a fairly level, but I think Essendon's going to get a lot out of that win last week, and I I reckon uh, they're in a good enough headspace to to keep that going against a side which was disappointing at home and hasn't necessarily always looked the goods away. So I'm going for the Bombers to win this one pretty well, actually. Forty six points for me. Wow. What do you reckon? Yeah. Um, I think the bounce back from the Suns, uh, Essendon again. It's a mental game. This is a mental game. Uh the question is, is Essendon happy with themselves? We've we've got everyone off our back. Do we relax? The old Essendon for the last three years, that'll be the case. They'll get belted this week. I'm not convinced that'll happen. Um, so I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'll, I'll pick them this week uh, by 11 points. 
but they're going to have to fight harder than they had the opposition last week. It's going to be a tougher game. Uh, I'm sure the Suns will bounce back as far as the intensity and effort. Uh, whether that's enough to get them home, I'm not too sure. I, I'm, I'm, I couldn't get to the Essen rooms uh, afterwards on Sunday, but I did uh, get someone to convey a message to the entire playing group. Rocket consisted of three words, and it was lid on it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's but, right. They can't afford to um, uh, be happy with themselves and look themselves in the mirror this week. It's about uh, let it go and let's bounce. Let's you know, it's a it's a step up this week with with opposition, and they've got to bring that again. All right, one more game to finish off round two. Let's do it. Final game of round two sees West Coast. Uh, terribly disappointing first up for them against North Melbourne, taking on GWS, who couldn't have been more impressive with a gutsy comeback win against Adelaide. That game at Optus Stadium Sunday, 6.20pm. GWS have won five and lost nine against the Eagles. Their record at the Stadium pretty poor too. Just won once there and lost seven. However, West Coast, just in a world of pain at the moment. Uh, of course, only won two games last year. But here's the thing. How often have they been this poor at home? They have won only one of their last 14 games at Optus Stadium. You wouldn't have said that too often at all about West Coast playing at home uh, in a world of pain. Rocket, how do you see this one? To me, well, at, at the moment, I've got the Giants' favourites. I like the Giants. Um, I think they're enjoying playing uh, an attacking brand of footy. They've still got talent. The worry for me is the injuries. So, obviously, Kelly, you probably help me here, and Whitfield are probably out. Kelly. Okay, so yeah. they have both entered the 12-day concussion protocols. Yeah. Yeah. Perryman will miss at least a month. Uh, Aaliyah also set for a month on the sidelines for them and O'Halloran and Bruce uh, both out for a while yet. So they definitely have their injury concerns. Is there anyone coming back? Uh, that uh, Well, no. not not really, no. And, and um, what about Yo for West Coast? Uh, Yo for West Coast will be tested with a calf injury. Hasn't been ruled out yet, but it's sound, reading between the lines. They're sounding yeah, more unlikely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, with those injuries, they're, they're, they're good players that are out, especially Whitfield and um, Kelly. Uh, but the West Coast were so disappointing. They re- really relied on Shuey, just their older players, to get them back into the game. If Yo doesn't play, it just, uh, again, puts a big hole in them. They've got you know they've got some younger kids there that we showed a bit. That Gingby showed a little bit. Um, uh, Allen's just coming back. Uh, Nat Nui, I don't know whether he'll be he'll be back this week as well. He he missed the game. The jury's out, really out for me about West Coast. I think they can win the wooden spoon. I think uh, obviously it'd be them and Hawthorne. But uh, even when the players out, and I've been a big on the Giants, uh, I still think their leaders can get them over. I think they've got good players on most uh, most lines. Taylor down back. Uh, Toby Green had a really good game. game. Tom Green uh, is, you know, is developing to an A-grade midfielder. Uh, Callahan last week, Finn Callahan was, I think he's going to be close to the rising star this year. He's he's a, he's a future star. So I think they've got some good players. You know, I, I still think they'll travel well. I, I, I think they can win the game. Speaking about leaders, we talk about West Coast kids and we, we haven't been overly impressed with them, but... I was looking at how many senior sort of players there are on that side who just consistently now don't perform to the levels they were in 
2019, you know, the likes of Gaff and Sheed and, and, and McGovern. Yeah, McGovern. Yeah, another good one. Now, what's going on with them? You look at them and you're thinking, okay, they're a couple of years older, but there's something psychological going on there. And yeah. sort of like that, they know they're not going to be part of another premiership now. Just like that, almost like you talked about effort before, whether that subconsciously has just dropped off a bit with them. It has, and I don't know the reason, but to me, and it's a silly point, but when they went into the hub in 2020, they're the only team that wins the main, and that started with the coach, but all the side of the players, they just whinge, oh, this is not us, no one would do this. And it's like they put the cue in the rack, and they have never recovered from that. They got back in 2021, and all of a sudden there was this spate of um, COVID because the Premier wouldn't let anyone know all of a sudden when the borders opened up in 21 and 22, they got all the COVID, and it just seems like poor us, older players, oh, we're not going to win. We won a premiership in 2018. We've been a successful club. And the competition's risen, and I don't think they've risen with it. And I don't think their list management's been great either. They haven't prepared for this because they didn't bite the bullet of trading some some players, go to the draft, and they really, their younger players, there's no A-graders. Everyone's got to, even Geelong, have been, they've done it really well. They've been able to bring some A-grade players in. So um, I think their future looks a bit bleak for the next two or three years, to be honest. No, I, I agree entirely. Uh, now, and I guess underlining that, we've got GWS playing in Perth, heap of injuries themselves, and yet they'll probably, I'm sure they will start favourite. And we're both going to tip them. I, I certainly am. I'm going injuries aside. I'm still going for the Giants to win this one. That was a really gutsy win. I think they can... Do it again. I'm going for the Giants to win this one by 20 points. What about you? Yeah, I got the Giants by 17. I think if they had those other players back, I think they you know, they could have won in the, by the 40s. But uh, I think the injuries will keep the – and the Eagles will bounce back a bit. There's a bit, bit of pressure at home in the media. Uh, you talk about the media. We spoke about that earlier. I mean, the West Coast Eagles control the media. They, they never get bagged. Only Frio get bagged over there. So <laughs> they control that. But I think uh, the media might start to ask, ask some questions if they don't win this one. Gee, that uh, grab from you is going to get a bit of airtime over in Perth in the next No, that's all right. That's good, good on them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're both going for GWS there. So in actual fact, we're, uh, we've tipped the same teams this round, Rocket. So uh, hopefully we can perform a bit better on the tipping front than we uh, – well, I did. I had a shocker. I think I ended up with three or something I've like that. I got four. So yeah, okay. So well, four and a half. We've got three and a half. No, no halves. No, no halves in the draw. No, you don't pay. You don't pay the draw in our tipping comp, Sonny. Right, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, nice work from you yet again. Uh, thanks for your company, everyone. This has been the Footyology Podcast for ESPN. Make sure you uh, tune in for the other ESPN podcast, which is a ripper early on in the week, and check out ESPN for all uh, the best footy news and analysis when you can. Check out Footyology website too, of course, and uh, become an official Footyology patron um, and you get some great content, both uh, multimedia website stuff there. Not just footy either. We talk about absolutely anything as long as the writing's good enough. Uh, All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you again next week.